if she's able to gradually meet those emotional relationship needs with local friends, that's what's going to push that reward button. That's what's going to get her over the hump. But wives and mothers are no different than any other language learners in the sense that fluency still requires mental toughness and stick-to-itiveness and especially figuring out strategies that will work for them. Welcome everyone. Welcome to Language on Purpose. Our guest today is a mom of five, fluent in Portuguese after 17 years in Brazil. Jody has spent the last 10 years training pre-field cross-cultural workers through the Intercultural Communications course. Welcome, Jody. Thank you. Okay, let's just go ahead and toss out a hot potato. It's a statement commonly heard among wives and mothers in a language learning program. I'm sure you've heard it plenty, and that's why I'm interviewing you. It goes like this. I'm called to be just a wife and mother and to support my husband in his ministry role. So let's tackle that. All right. Well, thank you for having me on, Mary Lynn. I would say first off that a wife and mother is certainly a calling. I would never argue with that. I loved being a mom of my five kids that are now ages 18 to 28. But sometimes that statement can mean like resignation, a mindset of saying, I'm not expecting myself to achieve much in language learning. I'm not expecting myself to integrate into the local culture. I'm going to just stay home with my kiddos. I firmly believe that a calling to be a wife and a mother, especially if called to live cross-culturally, that has to be lived out within the context of the culture and the language of the culture where we live. We are called to relationship wherever we are. And to build relationships overseas, we need the local language. You need relationships to build fluency and fluency to build relationships. Yes, exactly. But what I often see is wives and mothers bailing out early on on their language learning because it's hard. And instead, finding their most important relationships within the expat community, reverting back to their home language, rather than developing friendships with hosts from the local culture. Or I've seen it as well. They bond with native speakers who are bilingual in English. It's just so easy when we crave those supportive relationships in a new and foreign culture. Especially that's true for highly relational learners. Yes, yes, that's me. I'm a highly relational learner. And I found it super easy and natural to want to run to other expats and be like, I'm struggling with culture shock, or I don't know where to buy this thing, or I need to get my house set up. Who do you recommend to put in the cabinets? It's so much easier to get expats to do those things for you, to help you navigate the cultural maze. But early on, when we first arrived in Brazil, we were given outstanding advice. During the first 12 months, we encourage everybody, not just wives and moms, but everybody to go to national friendships as much as possible for your heart and relationship needs, for your friendship needs. Those months are kind of what I call the honeymoon months, 
when you're given special time to do language learning and your expectations are really high for the local host culture and friendships. So this is your chance to bond your heart to the local culture and to make local friends and explore the landscape. That was advice given to us that was so great and I highly recommend it. I'm sure you would agree that it was not easy, but it was very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely, Marilyn. It's not easy. There were a lot of lonely days. And at the same time, my husband and I had talked about it. And so we were intentional to push through the awkwardness at the beginning in order to build those deeper friendships with Brazilians. And it really paid off in our emotional connections and in our language learning. I know one learner in my first podcast episode used this great phrase, sitting in the awkwardness. That's how she described those first months of using the language and trying to build friendships. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about how it feels for us as the language learner, but my Brazilian friends told us later that they are also observing and that if you're seen as really working at the language, it means you honestly desire to develop true friendship. And then people will go the extra mile and be patient to help you bridge the communication gap because they see you putting in the hard effort. We are going to talk in a sec about strategies to particularly help wives and mothers build those relationships. But now let's get to the part of that statement about being called to support your husband's ministry. We do need to ask ourselves, what does that mean to really support your husband? More than anything, I believe we support our husbands by having our own emotional roots in the local culture. That's what will give us the emotional resilience to encourage our husbands when times get rough Otherwise, when he goes through a slump, I might be more than ready to agree with him. Yeah, let's throw in the towel. Let's give up on this thing, this place. But if you as wife and mom keep progressing in the language and in relationships, then you will stay invested right where you are. And again, those emotional roots are tied to those deep relationships. If our young wife or mama is able to meet the emotional relationship needs with local friends, that's what's going to push that reward button to get her over the hump. But wives and mothers are no different than other language learners in the sense that fluency still requires mental toughness and stick-to-itiveness and especially figuring out strategies that work for them. So, you probably don't have to be fluent enough to write a thesis or to preach in front of a church, but definitely fluent enough to make friends, to share your heart. You said that the goal is functional proficiency. And I agree with that idea of figuring out what you need to do to function in your context and then learning the language you would need to carry out those tasks. Like, going to doctor appointments, handling everything school for the kids, attending church, doing shopping in a cultural way. 
a language school might not exactly teach you those things. So you do have to be proactive in learning the vocabulary and specific grammar needed for those interactions. A simple example in Spanish, say you were going to the doctor and you wanted to say, I think my child has an ear infection. Well, you need to know that the word for ear, that means inner ear and not the outside of the ear, is oído, not oreja. Mm -hmm. So the emphasis there on can you function? Can you function in the local culture? My point of view is what kind of support are you to your husband if your husband has to constantly be pulled out of his workplace to take over, to help you do these kinds of roles because you haven't learned the language well enough to function, to, like you mentioned, take your kids to the doctor's appointment or um, get a worker in to fix the washing machine or to take you shopping, these other kinds of things. Jody, I'm wondering here, do you ever hear a husband say that my calling is to be a husband and father and to support my wife's ministry? <laughs> Not very often. It probably depends on the organization. But uh, from my experience, it's usually the husband who is being placed in the primary role. And then there's a function found for the wife part-time alongside of him, if possible. What about you and your husband, Mike? You said that Mike celebrates your ministry. What does that mean? So I'm a trainer and I'm ordained. I speak at women's and missions conferences. I serve on a couple of boards and so on. And my husband is a pilot mechanic. So he knew that ministry and teaching was my gifting, was my love before he ever chose me and married me. So he delights in that. And on the field with our kids growing up, he was deeply committed to doing what it took to negotiate and enable my ministry times within our family. How did that play out practically? Uh, I would say in fits and starts, Mary Lynn, if we're honest. At times when I needed to be more involved in ministry, he would be Mr. Mom. If I was traveling for a conference or setting up several weeks of teaching, he would block out that time on his calendar and he learned to uh, braid my little girl's long curly hair and make dinners and get the kids ready for school and baths and help with homework. And like I said, early on, we have five. So it was no light task for dad or mom, right? Whoever's doing that. But he jumped in. They might not have eaten as many veggies as this mama would have preferred during those weeks, but everybody survived. Everybody thrived. It was fine. Um, he also has tried to limit his evening and weekend commitments uh, so that he's very present with the kids. I, I don't want to give the impression that we always got it right, but we had that as a family vision and we've tried. We've kept it in focus over the years. I feel that a husband really does need to advocate for his wife in the language learning process especially during that honeymoon phase that you talked about. What would that advocacy look like? Yeah, I agree with you, especially because probably he has the primary role within the family with the organization. So for one, 
It might mean negotiating with an administrator to delay moving into his full-time ministry role to give his wife more needed time in language learning. Um, it might be uh, being willing to spend more money on childcare or household help or classes. All right, let's go ahead and talk about helpful and hopefully hopeful strategies. I'll start us off with language school. If you're going to language school, check out the options. Does the school have a flexible schedule? So maybe the wife could go in the morning and the husband in the afternoon so they could trade off on childcare or vice versa. I heard the other day a case in which the wife went to a completely different school than the husband in order to get that kind of a flexible schedule. Often what's proposed is can a tutor go to the house for one of the spouses? One challenge here is that it's often assumed that the husband will receive full-time language school while the wife gets a tutor once a week. So the tutor option sometimes becomes kind of an afterthought or a Band-Aid. Um, so I just recommend if you go with a tutor, again, that you keep your options open, like you said. So maybe after some months of full-time classes for dad, maybe then he goes to the tutor and mom goes off to full-time classes so that uh, nobody's getting a class B language learning experience. Also, um, how will you negotiate childcare instead of it being the default that mom is the childcare provider? Can dad do that as well? Um, and we found in our case that having some degree of household help was a lifesaver to free up more time for me for language learning and for involvement in the community. You said that your Brazilian friends all had household help. So that wasn't an obstacle for you to feel like you had access to something that your friends didn't have, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We even found it among our Brazilian co-workers. Even they with a limited budget would have household come in to help with laundry and cleaning and that sort of thing. So it felt very appropriate for us. That's my point. We weren't setting ourselves up for a standard of living that was far beyond the local community. Another strategy is to choose wisely where you live. Find a neighborhood conducive to interaction with neighbors where there are stores you can easily walk to with the kids maybe and more easily create a communication route. You've got to have places you can get to easily and frequently where you have a chance to communicate without your husband. An apartment complex might be a good idea. A compound might not be. It's so crucial to live where you can learn. A family I coached decided to locate in a neighborhood where you had to cross a very busy street to get to anything. They had to get in the car and drive everywhere, so that meant limited interaction. And the wife never learned to drive, and so that meant she was always on her husband's schedule. I've never thought about the intentionality of choosing your home in a place that facilitates daily interactions. That's really a great strategy. 
Um, for us, another good strategy was living with another family. Now, we couldn't have done it indefinitely, but we lived with a wonderful, delightful host family for our first four weeks in Brazil. And that 24-hour-a-day immersion was huge for us. That got us such a long ways in friendship as well as in language learning. And we took advantage of that initial burst of energy and drive and just launched. It was probably our very best, most productive weeks of language learning ever. How many children did you have at the time? How did that work out? We had baby Ben. He was about a year and a half old in a um, little porta crib in our bedroom. And I was pregnant with baby Mika on her way. And I'll be honest with you, by the end of the day, our brains would hurt from all the careful listening and thinking and trying to understand and trying to communicate that we did. But boy, did we learn. In language school in Costa Rica, there was a neighborhood that we called uh, Gringolandia, <laughs> where, where all the expats from the language school lived. We decided to live with a family instead for those six months. And I agree that your ears would just hurt by the end of the day. <laughs> In fact, the woman we lived with thought that because I was tired all the time that something was wrong with me, that I was really sick. I just want to mention in episode 21, The Family Way, you can listen to my own family's experience living with our two kids in Chile with a family for a couple of weeks after we arrived there. Hmm. Okay, another strategy, Jody, please. <laughs> Okay, so if the kids are your primary focus, then try to integrate into the local culture with your children. Whether to homeschool or not is obviously an important decision, big decision, but if there's a good affordable option for sending your children to a local school and then you get involved with the parents of that local school, I'd say go for it. As a third culture kid myself, I hugely benefited from immersion into an Argentine high school when I was 13, and I was there for two grade levels. It just radically changed my fluency in Spanish. I totally agree. After arriving in Chile, we put our son in first grade in a local private school. Those first two weeks were very painful for mm -hmm. him yeah, and for us. He cried almost every night. He'd come home and run straight to the bathroom since he didn't know how to ask in Spanish at school. But after that initial baptism by fire, slowly he began to make friends and speak in Spanish, and he loved going to school. When we were in Brazil, we had our kids in the international school. And so then we chose to weave them in through after school activities into town. We took them to sports events. We took them to music. We had our girls in dance classes. You could choose art. Um, those are opportunities for moms to integrate into the local culture as well, for our families to build relationship with other families. So our kids took Brazilian jiu-jitsu and loved it. And it's, uh, it's become part of their Brazilian story. Also ballet and swim and soccer and a lot of other activities in town. Um, this because, Mary Lynn, uh, as, as moms, 
if we're committed to it, raising our kids to be bilingual and fluently bicultural is one of the most awesome gifts that we can give them. I totally agree with that. I have a son and a daughter, and they both work in Spanish. It's just a part of our family culture. And in episode 20, by the way, I interviewed the designer of a flashcard system called Word Climber. The whole family used it for language learning in Nepal. Since the system incorporates a report, he could tell when the children weren't studying their vocabulary. <laughs> they homeschooled their children, yes, but had a tutor come in for language classes. Something else you talked about was finding the easiest places for relationships. So I already mentioned taking different classes in town. Uh, you could also look for a young mom's Bible study. If someone is into fitness, it could be a gym or a fitness class or a crafting group. Uh, also, the local church uh, you could find a women's Sunday school class at church if that's something that you're involved in. I think the, the summary is you got to find the places in the local landscape where other moms connect and jump in and start connecting as well. Tell us about after several years, you found that you had reached a plateau of functional fluency. I don't want you to think, oh, gosh, you know, this could never be me. But after several years, I stalled out right at about an intermediate level. And so at some point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start taking some college level classes. And I took university local courses in um, missions, in cultural anthropology, and in Bible study. When I started, Mary Lynn, this was really a stretch for my Portuguese Again, I'd, I'd sit there with the book open, with my uh, bilingual dictionary open next to me, and reading out loud was difficult. My vocabulary was not there. It was a stretch, but it pushed me, and I improved, and they launched me again into a season of growth, and, um, and besides that, I was learning side-by-side side with other students with common interests, and so... These courses were wonderful for my personal growth and my friendships, as well as my language learning. Before we close here, of mm -hmm. course, I'm going to ask you to share your super duper language blooper. We promise we'll laugh. <laughs> so, so there could have been dozens, of course, because that is one thing you have to be ready to do is laugh. But um, I had a couple of my kids in a preschool all in Portuguese. And so uh, we had a mom's meeting and I went over and with the other moms, we were talking about what kind of snacks to provide for break time. All this is done in Portuguese, of course. And at this point, my Portuguese was very limited. So they were saying that natural foods are better than packaged foods. And so I chimed in and said, yeah, because they don't have as many preservatives. I think I know where this is going. Well, they just gave me this look and there was this awkward silence. And then finally somebody burst out laughing and so did the rest because the word that I used for preservatives actually means birth control. <laughs> 
How did you realize that that's what you were actually saying? Oh, a sweet expat mom explained it to me um, so graciously. We were all laughing at that point. And the other moms were, when they saw, you know, that I wasn't going to burst into tears or be offended or anything, were laughing right along with me. And that's the other thing is the friendships, the friendships, Mary Lynn, they're so precious from being committed to language learning alongside your host friends. Pretty neat stuff. And when you're willing to laugh at yourself like that, that establishes you as a humble learner. And that's always great for relationships. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jody, for being on the show today. You were great. Um, if you're interested in more details about the pre-field training program Jody helps direct, it's called the Intercultural Communications Course or ICC, you can look up JARS, J-A-A-R-S dot org forward slash ICC. And for a first person story of a mom learning language, you might enjoy episode six, Moms Away. I'm Mary Lynn Kinderberg, and thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google, and of course, at languageonpurpose.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and you won't miss an episode. See you next time.